Thank you so much. It's good to see you today. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Last week we looked at a principle in 1 Peter chapter 5 and it's found in other places of scripture that says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God's really good at humbling his people, humbling all of us so that we'll understand that he wants to pour out his grace into our lives. Uh, There's an old sermon illustration that preachers have used for a really, really long time uh, to drive home this point. There was once a turtle who wanted to spend the winter in Florida, but obviously coming from the north, he couldn't travel that far or walk that far, so he convinced a couple of geese to help him. Taking each one, uh, and one one of the geese taking one end of the rope and the other another end of the rope, he clamped his vice-like grips right in the center while they flew down south. The flight went fine until someone on the ground looked up in admiration and said, who in the world thought of that? Unable to resist the chance to take credit, the turtle opened his mouth to shout, I did. And guess what happened? He started falling down. Terrible things happen when we're proud, egotistical, and we take credit for ourselves. Last week, we established the principle. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Today, we're going to look at an illustration of the principle. And there's no better illustration than we see, as Jeff read earlier, in Daniel chapter 4. It's a long chapter, uh, but the principles in the chapter are profound. And we've got to look at them to to learn what God would have us to learn. Now keep in mind, when we look at an Old Testament figure like this, this isn't mythology, this isn't a legend, this is a real person that actually lived. Believe it or not, there are other kingdoms that were great in the history of the world other than the United States of America. There was the kingdom of Greece... There was the kingdom of Babylon. There were tremendous kingdoms out there, and they all had tremendous leaders. This is one of them. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was, at that time, the most powerful leader on the face of the earth. In Daniel chapter 4, he has a dream, and in this dream, he is told by God and later interpreted by Daniel that he needed to humble himself a little bit, uh, because if he didn't humble himself, God would do it for him. So we're going to kind of fast forward a little bit to verse 28, chapter 4, verse 28. And we're going to kind of follow this storyline to see how God deals with pride. Keep in mind, we're making personal application here. God deals with our pride in the same way. So if you're following along on your outline, how does God deal with pride? Let's look at point number one. Let's first of all look at the problem of pride. Okay, let's start in verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Look what he says. Is this not the great Babylon that I have built at the royal, as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? In that one sentence, we just see pride bubbling over. Look at the personal pronouns. I have built my mighty power, my majesty. He's puffed up. He's proud. Of his accomplishments. Success often does that. Rarely do you see a person that doesn't have anything talk like that, but sometimes they do. We all have pride in our hearts. Now, let's look at first of all what's going on here. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar had been woken up with a dream, and it terrified him, and he asked his astrologers, his magic man, to come and interpret it. But he went to Daniel, and he asked Daniel for the proper dream. And Daniel said, Look, king, you got a pride problem. And you need to humble yourself because if you don't humble yourself, God will do it for you. And for 12 months, 
King Nebuchadnezzar refused to humble himself. That's what it says at the beginning of that verse 12 months later. He had 12 months to humble himself, but here's what he did. He totally ignored God's word to him. The beginning of pride is the ignoring of God's word. We think we're so smart. We think we're so wise. We don't feel like we want to follow God's word. After all, is there really a God out there? Pride says, I'm important, but God's not. Pride says, I don't need God. I can live for myself. I can do it by myself. I don't need any help. Pride is a deceiving truth in all of our lives. But here we see it on steroids. Here's this king who's on top of the world. Nobody can challenge his power. And he says, I have built this royal residence. I have mighty power. I have a glory and a majesty. Now, history tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was known for his building projects. He had built several beautiful temples. The wide outer city of the wall of the city of Babylon was so wide that four horse chariots could drive along the top of it for several miles. He had built many things. Some say that the bricks that he built with even had his name on it because he wanted everybody to know who got the credit. Nebuchadnezzar liked to tell people how important that he was. Have you ever run across somebody like that? They want you to know how important they are. And they want to, you know, make sure that you understand that. Pride is an inflated sense of self-importance. That's what it is. So the first thing he did is he ignored God's word. The second thing he did is he, he talks about himself. If you're ever in a conversation with somebody and you hear them talking about themselves over and over and over again, particularly in the area of spiritual things. People that aren't spiritual think they are spiritual because they're deceived as to their self-importance. Therefore, they should be an authority on everything. And Nebuchadnezzar is one of those folks. He has power because of his success, but he misinterprets it. He says, these things are happening because of my great power. This is a historical problem that we see in Scripture. If you go back to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says to the children of Israel, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant. So we tend to think the blessings of God that He gives to us are from our own hands, and that's the source of pride. I'm something. I'm special. I'm somebody. But notice how He ends His statement. For the glory of my majesty. Not only do these folks think they're self-important, they want you to think they're important too. Uh, we're not satisfied with other people getting the glory. We want our share of it ourselves. And we'll even throw God under the bus if we're not getting the glory we think we deserve. Now listen, we can just say it's because of politicians. We can say it, it's because of important people. But this is in every human heart. All of us fall into this trap. In 1 Peter 1, we see all men are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So our glory is competing with God's glory and pride says it's all about me and not about him at all. But God says in Isaiah chapter 2, the Lord Almighty has in store for all the proud and might lofty a day. Nebuchadnezzar is fixing to face that day. You see, God will let you go with it for a little while, but in his time, he says enough's enough. You know, I was reading through some sermons on this, and I stumbled across a sermon by a gentleman who was quoting from National Geographic. And he said, in the ocean, God has created something called the puffer fish. Have you ever heard of a puffer fish before? Uh, it's it's a, also known as a blowfish. It's a delicacy in Japan. I don't know that I'd want to eat it, but some people really like to eat this thing. 
But the pufferfish is so unique because it contains a toxic chemical called tetrodotoxin. I'm stumbling over scientific terms here, I'm sorry, but it's poisonous. And what happens is when it sees a predator or an enemy coming, it takes water or air and it starts to blow up. It's the pufferfish. But if you bite this thing, man, it can kill you. It's, it's dangerous. And that's exactly what pride does. Pride blows us up. It makes us think we're more than we really are. But it's poisonous. It's toxic. Pride is a deadly toxin to your soul. And God hates it. And God doesn't want you to fall into the trap of pride. So he will deal with it too. So what we're seeing here is Nebuchadnezzar is kind of like all of us. You ever been proud about some of your achievements or your accomplishments? Or have you ever looked down on somebody else because they perhaps haven't reached your level yet? When you look down on somebody, that's a force, a, a type of pride. So God says, I hate that and I'm not going to let it stay within you. So I'm going to deal with it. After all, what did the scripture say? God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So the process that God's going to take the proud through is to take them from pride to humility. And it is a process. And if you've ever gone through it, it is not fun. Spiritual pride, in my book, is one of the very worst kinds of pride to deal with. Because you think you speak for God when you don't. And God will not have any of his messengers speak untruths about him. So he will deal with that spiritual pride. And when God deals with pride, he deals with it in a devastating fashion. Devastating fashion. I'll never forget, I was in seminary one day and a godly man gets up in front of us and he was having revivals all over the place. And he was talking to our evangelism class. And as he's speaking, he gets to the very end. He says, you know, I want you to pray for me because they've just found out I've got a brain tumor. And the doctors tell me I don't have much, much time left. And we're all just stunned. This was, a, this was a humble guy, a godly guy. And he's having great things happen. And yet God, for whatever reason, allows this guy to pass from earth to heaven. If he'll allow that to happen to his own kids, uh, what will he do to those that are mis- uh, taking his name wrongly to the, to the nations? So pride is something that God will deal with, and he will deal with it in a very swift and devastating way. And we see here in Nebuchadnezzar's life how God deals with that pride. Now, when we read these verses of Scripture, let's read them with focused attention, with concentration. Here's point number two, the process of pruning, pruning. Those of you that know what agri- that work in agriculture, you know what the process of pruning is. Let's look at verses 31 through 33. The words were still in his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the dream from 12 months ago that he ignored. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you. Seven times there is seven years. Will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what has been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched like the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Now we look at that and we're going, okay, Pastor Jeff, you lost me. That's just myth, right? That's just legend, right? Well, commentators have tried to describe this physical condition that he has. Uh, One commentator said this is the condition of boanthropy, which is a rare mental illness in which people believe they're cattle. Or I might be saying this wrong, lycanthropy or lysanthropy, which is when a person believes he or she is a wolf. In their thinking, they are no longer people, they're animals, which shouldn't surprise us. For many years, 
uh, science teachers have said we come from animals, right? So it shouldn't be a big surprise for folks, but that's a condition that some people have tried to describe Nebuchadnezzar's condition in. But notice the process that God is saying to Nebuchadnezzar here. Here's the problem. Nebuchadnezzar thinks this is my kingdom and I built it. And many of us say the same thing. I may not have the kingdom of a nation, but I have my own personal kingdom and I'm in control of it. I control my family. I control my business. I control my world. I control my kingdom. That's pride. We control nothing. Everything we have is on loan from God. He's the one that's eternal. We're not. And we deceive ourselves to our importance when we have some success in our kingdom. I'm going to accumulate more money. I'm going to accumulate more stuff. I'm going to accumulate more authority. I'm going to build, build, build my kingdom. And when you get to like the place where Nebuchadnezzar is, you're in control. He was the most powerful man in the world. He controlled his kingdom. And God said, wait a minute, Nebuchadnezzar, you're forgetting something. And let me take you through this process to remind you about what you have forgotten about. So God strips him of his authority. Look what it says in verse 30. When your royal authority has been taken, you're not going to be king anymore. We lose our title. We lose our position. Second, he says, you're going to live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle. Again, this is a little confusing. The bottom line is God is humbling him. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I can't think of a more humbling thing for a king. One day you're king on a throne. The next day you're out in the fields eating grass with cows. Has anything ever happened to you where you've been embarrassed? Oh my gosh, can we have a testimony here? I can tell you time after time of the things that I've done that have embarrassed me or things that have happened to me that, that are embarrassing. I'm a preacher, man. I have said some things through the years and I look back and I'm, I'm like, what in the world? People have come up to me after sermons and say, what did you say? And I said, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you, you know. You ever, you ever humble yourself by what you speak? It comes with the territory when you're a preacher. But some circumstance will come into your life and you'll think it's just coincidence. But it's from the hand of God where he will humble you. And you'll know it because you won't like it. You won't like it at all. It reminds me of the kids. We, we had a graduation in here for the, for the homeschoolers last year. And I was supposed to read the, the names of all of the students that were graduating. And it got down to the bottom and there was a girl that was supposed to sing. And I asked where she was. Her name was Megan Trainer. I have no clue who Megan Trainer was. She's a famous singer and I had no clue. And they all started laughing at me. Like, like I'm a, a big, unsmart person. Because I don't know who this famous Christian singer Megan Trainer is. And here I am standing here at the big pastor in front of all these kids laughing at me. Because I didn't know somebody I guess I'm supposed to know. That's how quick this can happen. It's just, boom, like that. Well... Nebuchadnezzar's wasn't a just like that. His was just like that and stayed like that. For seven years, he had to eat grass like a cattle. It's interesting. If you get on the Internet and you look at other churches, I, I stumbled across many years ago a church in Africa. And they said, this is a, a way God humbles people. God wants people that go to church to go out into the, after church is over, we can practice if you want to, go out into the yard and start eating grass. And they actually had pictures of some of the church members eating grass outside of the church because the pastor told him to. Is that what we're talking about here? No. If a pastor's telling you to do that, get another pastor. That's, that's something God does. It's not something a man does. That would just elevate the, the pride in a man. God will give you a situation that will humble you, and it usually lasts for a while, and you usually won't like it. 
But God loves it because he is pruning, he is getting rid of that which is hindering his glory and your self-importance. God opposes the proud. He gives his grace to the humble. You remember what it says in the New Testament? God disciplines those he loves. Pruning is akin to discipline. God is getting rid of something in your life that you think you need that he has no need of. You see, here's the trap we fall into. We think God's job is to give us what we want so we can build our kingdom. God says, "Uh uh-uh, you're missing it. I'm not here to give you your kingdom. You're here to be a member of my kingdom and to bear fruit for my kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar forgot who God was or he just didn't pay attention to him. Can you fall into that category? When was the last time you remembered who God was? When was the last time you praised him for who he was, the creator of the heavens and the earth? Or are you sitting there going, well, God didn't give me what I want. I'm out of here. If God doesn't give me what I want, I'm going to go find me another God or another credit card or something, but I'm going to get what I want. God said that's enough. You see, what God's doing when he prunes you is he's giving you a spiritual backbone. So that you will trust him in the very difficulties of life. And it's not easy. The Bible says, Jesus says, we'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. God will allow us to walk through difficult things, but we're walking not alone. We're walking with a God who loves us. And he takes us through these difficult times so we know who to walk with through him. It was Billy Graham who talked about discipline. He said this, when a ship's carpenter needed timber to make a mast for a sailing vessel, he didn't go into the valley but he went up on the mountainside where the trees had been buffeted by the winds. These trees he knew were the strongest of all. They were strong because of the storms that they faced. And what happens to Christians is God gives us storms to strengthen our spiritual backbone, to get rid of the pride pride that we have in our hearts and say, God, I'm depending on you because I have no clue how to fix this. I have no clue where to go next. Help God says, thank you very much. I've been waiting for you to get to that point. For God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Now, here, you want to be a frustrated Christian? Let me tell you how you'll be a frustrated Christian. You pray and you pray and you ask God for something. You don't get it. You say, fine. Hmm. I'm going to have a little spiritual pity party and I'll show you, God, if you don't give me what I want, I'm not going to worship you anymore. Pride. You know, I've noticed that the, the ones that have the Spiritual backbones are the ones that have been through some really difficult stuff. I'm not asking for it, and I pray God doesn't give it to you. But whether they come or not, these folks have learned to weather those storms, and they're still going to stand. Keep in mind, the one that interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream was Daniel. He got picked up from his home, had to leave everything, faced a lot of adversity in his life. Spent a few days, a, a, a night with a few lions. He's had some adversity in his life. Okay? And yet he's the one that people went to for advice because he had spiritual trust in the Lord. So if God's taking you through a process right now and you don't like some of the things that are happening, the Bible says endure hardship as discipline, it could be that God's removing some of your pride so that you will throw yourself before his feet and say, God, you're king and I'm not. And that's a hard thing to learn, but it's the way it works. God's not so much interested in making your kingdom big as much as he's willing to be a part of his kingdom. What a privilege and an honor to be a part of the kingdom of God. Let's finish this up. Point number three. Why does God do this? 
The purpose is praise. For seven long years, Nebuchadnezzar just woke up every morning, dew on the grass, was like an animal. But God was working in his life. You might say, well, it doesn't seem like it. Well, it doesn't seem like God's working in our lives sometimes, but he is. Look what it says in verses 34 and following. At the end of that time, at the end of those seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Corey said this earlier, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Notice what's happening here. Why did God prune him? Here's the first step. So he'll take his eyes off of himself, his eyes off of his circumstance, and lift his eyes toward heaven. It's a simple start, but it's the best way to start. You're taking your eyes off of your kingdom and off of your stuff, and you're looking at the Lord. You know, we used to sing a beautiful little song in our family, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the heavens. Where does my help come from? Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Here, here's pride. Pride looks in the mirror. Here's humility. The eyes look toward the Lord. And God will allow you to go through a pruning process so that you'll stop looking at yourself and start looking at him. That's where the process of humility starts. And that's where the process of God's restoration starts. And that's where the, God, the start of God's grace comes into play. It's very subtle. I raised my eyes toward heaven. He had an aha moment there. Not about me. Yeah, I got all this stuff. I'm the king. But it's not about me. When's the last time you said it was not about you? The church of Jesus Christ is infected with eye trouble. It's about me, me, me. But it's about the Lord. Notice when he looked toward heaven, his sanity was restored. And he praised the Most High. The word Most High there means sovereign, the God that's in control. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know that God's in control of your life, of your circumstances, of your situation? Or do you think something perhaps has slipped by him? Well, you know, if the Lord would understand what's going on here, maybe we can get some, some, some stuff going on that would be better. If, if you lift your eyes toward heaven, it's because you have come to the conclusion, just like Nebuchadnezzar did, he is most high. He alone is sovereign. It doesn't mean I'm going to understand it. It definitely doesn't mean I'm going to understand it. His ways are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. He, he doesn't have to even explain it to me. And even if he did explain it to me, it wouldn't perhaps change anything. But when you come to the place when God is sovereign, when he is in control of your life, when you know that he knows the number of hairs on your head, he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, it's like we talked about last week. How big is your God? Can you trust a God that you cannot see with circumstances that you see no answer to at this present moment? That's the God we're talking about. Nebuchadnezzar's been through this for seven years. How long have you been going through what you've been going through? Will it ever end? Does God care? Why? Have you turned your eyes toward heaven? That's just the start. But it's a good start. If you keep your eyes down, it's a very difficult place to go. Not only did he turn his eyes toward heaven, but notice what he says. 
We see the words here that are crucial in verses 34 and 35. Nebuchadnezzar gives an amazing explanation of what happens after he's been through this printing process. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my standing was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Verse 35, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's a pretty amazing statement. He's basically saying, God is real, God is true, God is powerful, and I'm not what I think I am. It's a wonderful place of humility to be. But, you know, we have something in our hearts that just kind of keeps God at bay. God, I got this, I got this, I got this, until something comes into our life where we don't got it anymore. But notice how he concludes verses 36 and 37. God is exalted. At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of heaven. For the glory of my kingdom, my advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now watch for verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Notice that last phrase. Everything God does is right, all his ways are just. Those who walk in pride, as Nebuchadnezzar had learned, he is able to humble. That should be a warning to each and every one of us. You're mad at God? You're mad at your circumstances? It's a very humbling statement. All who walk in pride. God, let me tell you how to do this. Pride. He is able to humble. I don't know about you, but the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't know about you, but I know in my life, that's a thought that keeps coming. Jeff, you better fear the Lord. You better fear the Lord. You may not understand. But if you want to be a wise person, you better fear the Lord. Quit telling him what to do and just say, God, I thank you. You may not understand, but I know you're perfect and you're just in everything that happens. Proverbs 16, 18, 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Several years ago, there was a, a woman in the United Kingdom who was having eye trouble. And she was going to the doctor and she says, man, I'm 67 years of age. I need cataract surgery because I can't see anymore. Would you please help me? And as she's going to the doctors for help, they determined after a test, they were going to do some surgery to help fix her eyes so that she could see more clearly. And they got in there and they started to give her some anesthesia to get the eyes taken care of. And when they started doing the eye exam, uh, the anesthesiologist looked and he looked and he said, you know what? There's something blue in your eye. And started to go in there and retrieved 10 contact lenses. And then he looked at the top part of her eye and said, you know what? There's some other stuff in there. After his examination, they found 27 contact lenses in her eyes. And she said, you know, sometimes I'd try to get it out of there and I thought I just lost it. I just couldn't find it. So I just put another one in there. I just thought maybe it fell out. You know, that, that may be a good excuse, but it doesn't fix the problem, does it? And because of this inability to get the contacts out, she had some messed up eyesight. She thought she had the answer. That's pride. But her eyesight was messed up 
because she had the wrong answer. She needed to look correctly, and they needed to get those contact lenses out so indeed she could. You know, I, I looked at that verse of Scripture, and I said to myself, you know what? The wise person looks at the Lord, turns their eyes toward heaven, instead of depending upon themselves. Where are you? Do you have pride in your life? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God's really not interested in us telling him what to do. Have you noticed that? God's really not interested in in getting instructions from us. And we walk around thinking, and forgive me, I'm not speaking of anybody personally. We walk around thinking we're something. The Bible tells us we're nothing. I continue to go back and be absolutely amazed at the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven who possessed all glory and honor and praise. And the Bible says in Philippians 2, he left heaven, came to earth, and he made himself nothing. That's what amazes me. A perfect Savior who would come down to earth and made himself nothing. Wouldn't take credit for himself, but he died for our sins. That's who I'm amazed with, and that's who you should be amazed with too. When's the last time you were amazed with Jesus? It's his kingdom, the kingdom of God that we're here to build, not our own. So let's do that together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are a good and holy God. Father, I thank you that you give us your word to instruct us and to guide us and to lead us into truth. Messages like this are hard because we all want to be noticed and we all want to think we're more important than perhaps we really are. But you tell us that your grace will be poured out on those that humble themselves. So as an act of our will today, we humble ourselves before you. Father, I just pray that you will pour out your grace upon each and every person here today that humbles themselves before you. That will confess our pride and will choose as an act of our will to give you glory and exalt your name. Just like Nebuchadnezzar did. Father, we know that you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. We know that you're the sustainer of all things. We know that you sent your son to die for our sins because we couldn't save ourselves. And we humble ourselves in gratitude and give you thanks and glory and honor. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we'll have a hymn of invitation. I'll be here at the front. If God speaks to your heart, uh, you come and you join me. Perhaps you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's time to humble yourself and come to him. Whatever it is that God's speaking to your heart, you might want to pray with him right, pray to him right where you are and give him the glory that's due his name. Let's all stand together and if God speaks to you, I'll be here.